Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your words will never fail. Lord, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit today. We thank you that he teaches us. We thank you for guidance. We thank you for instruction in the word of God. But more importantly, Father, we thank you for speaking to the, each and every one of our hearts. Specific, specifically about how to apply the word of God. So that we walk in your perfect will. We thank you, Lord, for making your word known. We thank you for making your presence known. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Before we get started this morning, I got something I want you to do uh, for me and with me. This last week was my wife's birthday. And uh, she's a terrific person, a great helpmeet, great help at the church, great mom, just all around great girl. So I would like for you to join with me in singing Happy Birthday, Beth. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Beth. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Thank you. Huh? Could you say one thing? Well, of course, honey. We always like to hear you speak. Praise the Lord. I'm counting on that keeping me out of trouble for many years to come. Amen. Turning your Bibles with me to Matthew 6 and Matthew 16. Matthew 6 and Matthew 16. We want, we've started a series last uh, Sunday morning on the keys of the kingdom of God. And we're using as the text scripture the 16th chapter of Matthew and uh, the 19th verse. Well, really several verses around there, but primarily verse 19. Jesus has been uh, has at a certain place where there's the worship of many false gods and false idols and so forth. And he asked, who do men say that I am? And the disciples answered and said, well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're Isaiah or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, and he said, who do you say I am? That's the real question for all of mankind. Who do you say Jesus is? Well, Peter speaks up and he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answers and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, this is verse 18, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock thou will build my church. Now the rock he's talking about is not Peter. He's talking about the knowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's the Christ. Upon this rock, this knowledge, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I like another translation on that. It says, the gates of hell shall not be able to hold out against it. See, the picture that Jesus paints for us is the one where the church is on the move instead of the devil. That the devil's trying to hold out against the work of the church. And that's the accurate picture that we should have. Then he says, based on the knowledge that Jesus is the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, overcoming the works of the devil, building the church, he says in verse 19, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now remember then, uh, turn with me, we'll come back to Matthew 16. But turn with me to Matthew 6 now. Jesus has taught his disciples how to pray. They came to him and they asked. They said, John taught his disciples to pray. Why don't you teach us how to pray? So Jesus gives them a prayer. It's a prayer for the period of time that he's here on the earth. It's not a New Testament prayer because New Testament prayer is prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. This prayer that he gives them that's commonly known in the church world as the Lord's Prayer doesn't contain the name of Jesus. So it can't be a New Testament prayer. So you know how it goes. You could recite it as well as I can. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
But now notice the next thing that he says. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Now what does that tell us? If he's telling them to pray that the kingdom of God would come, then that means the kingdom of God hasn't come. Hasn't come meaning at the time of the, that he gives them this prayer. He's praying, or telling them to pray, excuse me. He's telling them to pray that the kingdom of God would come. That the kingdom of God would come. Now this has got to be the same kingdom that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 16, doesn't it? Jesus says, and I'll give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Sometimes the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are used interchangeably. Sometimes they mean different things. Most often it means the kingdom of God that Jesus is referring to here. A few times in the scripture it refers to the kingdom of heaven where Jesus comes back in glory with his angels. But when it means that, if we refer to any scriptures relating to that, we'll point that out. So for the sake of our discussion this morning, we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and those are interchangeable terms. We'll only use scriptures in which those are interchangeable terms. So he tells them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus wouldn't tell his disciples to pray something that's contrary to the will of God, would he? So it's got to be the will of God for the kingdom of, kingdom of God to come at that point in time that he's speaking to them. Now notice also when he says the kingdom of God, thy kingdom come, speaking of the kingdom of God, notice he talks about the will of God being done. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now think back to how God created the earth. God made the world in six days, put man in the middle of it. There was nothing that could hurt or harm man in any way whatsoever. There was no sickness, there was no disease. There was no poverty, there was no lack, there was no imperfect tree, there were no thorns and thistles. There was nothing whatsoever that could hurt man or do anything except provide the perfect blessing and benefit for mankind. Now, this is going to seem like a silly question, but I hope it makes the point. Did God make the earth the way that he wanted it? Was the earth in the original creation prior to the fall of man, prior to the introduction of sin, was that made according to the will of God? Well, what was the system or the kingdom in which God created the earth in the beginning? We'd have to call it the kingdom of God, wouldn't we? I mean, what else would it be? There was a system set up, as I said, without sickness or disease, where there was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. There was no imperfect fruit on any tree. There was no tree that didn't produce fruit. There was nothing that was imperfect in any way whatsoever. Well, that would have to be the kingdom of God, wouldn't it? That was what God gave man authority over. He told, put him in the middle of the garden, told him to dress it and keep it, garden protect it, which indicates there was an enemy here before we see Satan on the scene. And as a result, we have to say that the will of God for the earth in the beginning was, so, was such that there was nothing that could hurt or harm mankind. No poverty, no disease, no lack, nothing to depress, no conflict, nothing but perfection. That was the will of God for the earth in the beginning. Well, the Bible says, God said himself, he said, I'm God, I change not. Why would anybody expect that the will of God would be different for the earth today? If the will of God is different for the earth today, then God has changed. And that means the Bible's a lie and we don't know what to believe. Are you with me? So where it says, thy will be done, or that, I'm sorry, when it says, Jesus told them to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. When is the will of God going to be done on the earth, which has to be the will of God for Jesus to tell them to pray this, it has to be the will of God. Let me see if I can say this without being confusing. It has to be the will of God for the will of God to be on the earth like it is in heaven. You still there? That's what Jesus taught them to pray. When is the will of God going to be done on the earth like it is in heaven? When the kingdom comes. When the kingdom comes. Now back to Matthew 16. Jesus said, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. We think of keys like car keys, house keys, 
office keys and so forth. People didn't use keys like that in those days. When Jesus talks to them about keys, he's not talking to them about things that unlock locks. Now, the, the, the image or the picture works, but the unlocking he's talking about is knowledge. In those days, if you mastered a certain area of study in what would be the equivalent of the university or some higher school of learning, they gave you a key. And that key was something you wore around your belt so that everybody would know that you've mastered that area of study. And so where Jesus says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, he's saying, I'll make you masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. I'll make you masters of the principles that govern the, the kingdom of God, the way that God wants things to be on the earth, which we know is that the same way that they are in heaven. Now turn with me to a couple of scriptures. I want you to see with me, uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 9 first. Luke chapter 9, there's a lot of scriptures we could use and I'm not sure exactly which ones are the best ones to start with. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it said, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. I want you to notice he gave them power and authority over the devil and over sickness and disease. Verse 2, And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He says, I've given you authority over all devils and over sickness and disease. Now go preach the kingdom of God. Now what does that mean? Well, from what we've seen already, what we've seen that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, we could say at the very least it means preach that God wants things to be here on the earth like they are in heaven. Now let's think about heaven for a minute. Most of the church world, with little or great knowledge about God, thinks of heaven as a place where you escape the evils and the ills of the world. How many times do we think of heaven or have we heard heaven described as the place of rest, particularly when somebody's fought sickness or disease here on the earth or something like that? Well, finally they've gone into their rest. Well, was it ever God's will for them to have to wait to heaven to get to rest? Not according to Jesus. According to Jesus, it's the will of God for things to be here on the earth just like it is in heaven. And I think so often people look at heaven as a place of escape. But what is it we're trying to escape from? Well, if you listen to the church world, by and large, you get the idea that we're trying to escape the great power of the devil. But notice in Jesus' example, in his life and ministry, he delivered to the disciples authority over the devil. You couldn't cast out devils without having power over him, could you? You couldn't cure and heal diseases unless you had power over it, could you? So he gave them power over the devil and over sickness and disease. It's, it's fascinating how often those things go together. It's fascinating if you look in the Bible how often the Bible talks about authority to cast out devils and to heal sickness. Because it's all part of the devil's work. See, Jesus was a, uh, he wasn't in confusion about this. The modern day church doesn't seem to know who's making who sick. Could be the devil or it could be God trying to teach you something. Well, if it could be either one, what are you supposed to do with that? Try to get better or not? See, anybody that really thinks that God's trying to teach them something through sickness or trying to purify them or sanctify them or make them more holy or whatever isn't going to go to the doctor to try to get rid of what God's given them. They're going to pray for a double dose so they get double holy. I've yet to have anybody come to me and say, Pastor Mike, God made me sick to teach me something, so I want you to pray that it increases so I learn. Now, I have had people come and say, God's trying to teach me something through the sickness, so I want you to pray for my healing. 
And I've always responded, well, if God gave it to you, why are you trying to get rid of it? If God wants you to have it, shouldn't you want it? Folks, the church world is stupid. Maybe a better way to say that is the church world is unscriptural. But they're one and the same. So Jesus gave his, his disciples authority to cure diseases and authority over the devil. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. To send, he sent them out to preach that God wants things here on the earth just like he wants them in heaven. And just like they are in heaven. Now look down with me to verse, uh, yeah, well, let's, uh, verse 10. And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. Now what do you think they did? Well, he told them to preach the gospel of the kingdom and to heal the sick. So if they've done anything other than what he told them, they wouldn't be bragging about it, would they? They wouldn't be reporting it. So when it says they told him all that they had done, that tells me that they preached the gospel of the kingdom and they healed the sick. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they, followed, when they knew it, followed him. And when he received them, and he, he, and he received them, excuse me, and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. Notice the connection between healing and the kingdom of God. Now, back up a little bit with me to uh, chapter 8. Verse 1, And it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him. Now, what does it mean where it says he preached the glad tidings of the kingdom? Well, glad tidings is good news, isn't it? What good news would he tell them about the kingdom of God? That God wants things here on the earth like he wants them in heaven. Great rule of thumb to apply in your life is this. Ask yourself the question, is what's going on in my life the way that it would be if I was in heaven? If it's not then there's a part of the kingdom of God that you can and should apply to your present condition. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I guess I should back up to the last couple of verses of chapter 9 and tie this in together. Well, never mind. Just go to Luke chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. They're front men. He's sending them ahead. Now, what is he sending them ahead to do? Is he sending them ahead to say, Jesus is coming, clear your calendar? Is he sending them ahead as advanced men to let them to, to, uh, to serve as advertisement? We're going to have a special meeting on the 4th. Make sure you're ready to come to the town square. Notice he says he sent them, sent, them, sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whether he himself would come. He gives them certain instructions. Let's start reading in verse uh, 8. He said, and into whatsoever city you enter, meaning this should work in any and every city. It's not locale specific. And into whatsoever city you enter, and they receive you, eat such things that are, as are set before you. Receive their hospitality, in other words. And heal the sick that are therein, and say unto them, the kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Now the word nigh means near. So he's saying, go into every city. It's up to the city to determine the results that you get. It's not up to you. 
Your authority is the same in one place as it is in another. Your mission is the same in one city as it is in the other. He said, but the cities that receive you, receive their hospitality, what they set before you, and heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, the kingdom of God has come near unto you. The kingdom of God is soon to come, in other words. It's soon to come. Now notice the connection between healing the sick and the kingdom of God. It sounds like Jesus is trying to get everybody well before he gets to town. I guess that would make his job easier, wouldn't it? Then he can just preach the kingdom of God, which was his custom anyway. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, meaning good news of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That's what Jesus did. He saw that there were too many people than he personally could get to, so that's when he starts delegating his power and authority to the disciples and telling them, as we've read, to go into the cities Preach the kingdom of God and heal the sick. Healing is a part and parcel of the kingdom of God. Now there's something else that I think bears witness here. It's worth noticing. Not one place, not one time, does Jesus ever tell the disciples to pray for the sick. Not once. The good news of the kingdom is not that you can pray for, for healing. The good news of the kingdom is that healing belongs to you because the kingdom of God for us has come. Healing belonged to them because the kingdom of God was near to come or soon to come. But for us, he's already come. Now the disciples go and do the work of Jesus, just like he said, and they're even astonished in some cases at the results that they get. Luke chapter 10 tells us in verse 17, Now the disciples returned, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Well, if you go back and look at what he told the disciples, or the 70, excuse me, they're disciples too, but you know what I mean. What he told the 70 in the early part of Luke chapter 10, he didn't say a word to them about authority over the devil. But they've been with Jesus all the time. He didn't have to go look for 70 when it was time to send them out. They've been with Jesus all the time. Most Bible scholars agree that there was a group of people, anywhere from 120 to 150 people, that regularly followed Jesus. For which he was responsible for their care. It takes a lot of finances to take care of 150 people. So when the 70 returned with joy, they said, Master, even the devils are subject unto us in your name. Apparently, they just do what they've been watching Jesus do, even though he didn't say specifically to do it. And Jesus responded, and he said, I beheld Satan fall as lightning from heaven. And when did that happen? That happened when Satan rose up with a third of the angels to rebel against God. That didn't happen when they exercised authority over him. What he's saying is Satan is a defeated foe. He's a vanquished enemy. Well, if he's been defeated already, then how come he causes so much trouble here on the earth? Because we haven't figured out that he's defeated and the kingdom of God provides victory over him in every respect. That's the good news of the kingdom. Now, remember what Paul said. Look with me over to Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Remember what Paul said, talking about this gospel of the kingdom. Paul writing to the church said for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ well, what is the gospel of Christ it's got to be the gospel of the kingdom doesn't it specifically the gospel of the kingdom of God that has now come because Jesus has finished and completed his work of redemption on the cross so Paul is saying I'm not ashamed of this good news I'm not ashamed of telling people that healing belongs to them 
I'm not ashamed of telling people that you've got authority over the devil. I'm not ashamed of telling people that you don't have to live in poverty. You don't have to live in sickness. I'm not ashamed of telling people that every adversity is of the devil, not of God. That's what he says. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For, because, it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, this word salvation means a number of things. It's an all-inclusive term. It means to rescue. It means to deliver. It means to heal. It means to make sound. It means to make whole. In other words, the salvation that Paul preached, the salvation that he wasn't ashamed of, the good news of the salvation that he preached is that you can be free in every area of life or to fit with what we've said before, salvation provides you the will of God in the earth just like it is in heaven. Now turn with me over to Colossians chapter 1. Here's how Paul knew this. Here's why he said that he wasn't ashamed of it. Let's start in verse 9. Verse 13 is really what I want to get to, but verse 9 will give us the context of what he's saying. He's saying, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Now, folks, please notice he's writing to Christians who are already saved. He's writing to Christians who already have access to wisdom, the wisdom of God. The Bible says Christ has made unto us wisdom. But just because you have access to it doesn't mean you're walking in it. Paul writes to the Romans and talks about carnal-minded Christians or carnal Christians. And then he talks about being carnally-minded as being the enemy of God. Well, you know as well as I do that there are Christians that are carnal just like there are unbelievers who are carnal. Unbelievers, those that are unsaved, are, un are carnal by nature. But Christians can be carnal through the absence of the renewing of the mind. The word carnal means body ruled. So you can have carnal Christians just like the unsaved are carnal. So here he says he's praying for them to be filled with wisdom and spiritual understanding you'll allow me to put it in a different term so that they not walk carnally so that they walk up to and live up to the salvation that Jesus has provided for each one of us it's one thing to be saved it's another thing to walk worthy of that salvation are you out there so that's what he's praying he said for this cause we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So walking worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing must mean bringing good, forth good fruit in your life and increasing in, his, in the knowledge of him. That's what Paul just identifies by the Holy Ghost. Strengthened with all might, verse 11. Strengthened with all might, God is pleased when we're strengthened with might. According to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Now here's the, the paradox that Paul tries to explain to us. The Bible refers to over and over and over again. We think of power being instant results. We think when the power of God's in manifestation, you're going to have instant results. And the Bible talks a lot about Jesus' instant results. But if the, if the power of God, or we'll say it this way, if being strengthened with might by his glorious power always brings instant results, then why would we need to be strengthened unto all long-suffering and patience? See, Paul didn't get instant results in every case either. So many times when you're preaching these things, preaching about the power of God and God's will for you to be free in every area. People naturally assume, because we think naturally, I mean, we get upset when we have to watch that microwave tick down from 10 seconds to zero. We're in a hurry, wanting it to, you know, come on, come on, come on. 
three, two, one. Gosh. That's the way we're wired. We want everything right now. So when you talk about the power of God and the kingdom of God and these things, when you talk about healing, people normally assume that if it's really the power of God in operation, it's all going to be an instant result. Paul didn't preach that and Paul didn't live that. Paul talked to the Corinthian church and he said, I would have come to you sooner, but Satan hindered me. Well, I thought Paul was a man of faith and power. If he was a man of faith and power, how come the devil was able to hinder him? Folks, having authority over the devil doesn't mean you can pray once and do away with the devil in the earth. The devil has a right to be here. But you have a right to realize that he's a trespasser. You have a right to realize that the kingdom of God can and will provide you freedom over all of his work and all of his activity against you. Now what's going to make the difference and what's going to bring us to the place where we realize that so that we walk and live in victory? Becoming masters of the principles that govern the kingdom of God. Let's finish Paul's prayer. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. You know, it takes the power of God to be faithful and joyful and patient. And naturally, we're inclined to think of something else. We're inclined to grab at some new straw and some new gimmick and some new thing that'll make the difference. That's what advertising is all about. You may have tried everything else, but this is the one thing that'll put you over. You go online to some of these supplement websites and vitamins and stuff like that. They'll tell you 50,000 things that you need, and then they'll add, now you need one more. Now, I'm not against supplements. I take them. Not against vitamins. I take those too. But there's this idea, and it's, an, it's the spirit of the world, that one more thing will put you over. But, folks, the only thing that will ever put you over is the kingdom of God. The only thing that will ever put you over in life is the word. It's the only thing that works, and it always works. Now, it doesn't always work as fast as you want it to work. That's why you need to be strengthened with all might unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. I know a lot of people that are waiting, and they're mad because they have to wait. Let me finish Paul's prayer. Strengthen with all might according to his glorious power and to all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Please notice he did not automatically make you a partaker. He made you able to partake. He gave you the ability to partake, whether or not you do partake, whether or not you are a partaker of the things that belong to you through the work of Jesus is up to you, not him. He gave you the ability, but whether or not you are is your, your call. Verse 13, who, speaking of Jesus, who has delivered us from the power of darkness. Notice it does not say that he will deliver you. It says that he has delivered you. Now, who's he writing to? He's writing to believers, writing to those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath, past tense, has, already done, hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, what would the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of Jesus be if it's not the kingdom of God? Is it possible that there's a kingdom of Jesus or the kingdom of God's dear son that's not the kingdom of God? Of course not. He's got to be talking about one and the same thing. So whereas Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth even as it is in heaven. He's saying for us the kingdom has come. It's already come. 
So therefore we have the ability for things to be in our life as they are in heaven. I keep saying this, and I keep getting strange looks from people when I say it. But going to heaven should not be the big deal that we make of it. Now, don't get me wrong. Heaven is far better than this place. But you remember when Paul wrote about his own experience, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Everybody believes he's talking about himself. Who was caught up into the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. How come Paul couldn't tell whether he was in the body or out of the body? Now, if you'd been with him, you'd be able to tell for him, wouldn't you? You'd know whether he disappeared or not. But Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. Let me put that in a, in a different way of saying it, in my own words. That's Paul saying, I was the same when I was in heaven, whether I was in my body or out of the body, I don't know. Can't tell the difference. But I was the same in heaven just like I am here. Boy, that's different from most everybody's idea of heaven. Most everybody's idea of heaven is when you get there, it's like, now we're free. Well, guess what? Now you're free. And that's what Paul is saying. And that's why he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, what is the gospel of Christ? The gospel of Christ are words that tell you what Jesus has done for you. He's saying those words of Christ's sacrifice and the redemption that was obtained through his work on the cross and his resurrection, those words are the power of God to rescue you to deliver you, to heal you, to make you sound, and to make you whole. Those words are the power of God. Now, we don't think in those terms. We think of somebody having the power with some special ministry to give it to us or to transfer it to us. And that's really the power of God. That's not what Paul said. Paul said the words of what Jesus has done for us, the truth, the reality that through the resurrection of Jesus, you have been delivered from the power of darkness, the power of the devil, the power of sickness, the power of poverty, anything and everything else that's of the devil is the devil. You've been delivered from those things already and translated literally placed, taken from one place and put in another place. That new place is the kingdom of God where it is the will of God for you to have everything on the earth like it is in heaven. That's why Jesus never told the disciples to pray for the sick. That's why there's no instruction to the church to pray for the sick. Now some might say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. James chapter 5 says the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up meaning the prayer of faith heals the sick well that word prayer is not to ask that word prayer is the word vow or declaration it says the declaration of faith saves the sick well faith in what the faith in the finished work of Jesus the faith the faith that says, I believe Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I am healed. Now, let's put it in this context. When we think of a vow, we think of making a vow to God. If I vow to serve God all the days of my life, I'm not looking for him to do anything. I'm saying this is the way it's going to be for me. I'm making an active determination of my will. I'm saying I will serve God all the days of my life. We sometimes even quote the scripture as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's a vow. That's a declaration. That's saying this is how it's going to be. No matter what comes, no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance, no matter what, I'm going to serve God all the days of my life. I haven't asked God for a thing, have I? 
I've made a vow. I've made a declaration of intent. Well, the Bible says the vow or declaration of faith heals the sick. Why? Because Jesus has already accomplished healing is a part of his work on the cross. Because healing is a part of the kingdom of God that's already come. The Bible furthermore says in Luke chapter 17, about verse 20, 21. It says, the Jews demanded of Jesus when the kingdom of heaven should come. And Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven does not come with observation or outward show. Now, he can't be talking about his return to the earth in in glory. Because the Bible says every eye will see that. Every ear will hear that. He says, the kingdom of heaven appeareth not with outward show or or, uh, from without. Things that you can see with the natural eye. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. So the power to heal is within you. It's not from some outside source. It's within you. That's why the vow of the declaration of faith heals the sick. Now let me close with this. I'm running out of time, but let me close with this. Turn with me over there to uh, Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4 is a real important chapter relating to the kingdom of God. Jesus tells them the parable of the sower sowing the word. After the multitude is gone, the disciples come to him and said, we don't know what this means. Please explain it to us. And Jesus answers them and says in verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. In other words, he's saying, what I'm about to explain to you is the secret. Most translations translate this as secret. He's saying, I'm about to reveal to you the secret of the kingdom of God. Now remember for them, the kingdom of God hadn't come, but it was close. And because it was close, they had authority over the devil. They had the ability to heal sickness and disease. Just because it was close. The Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. That means for us, it's not close, it's here. So there's never any reason for us to wait to receive that which is part of the kingdom of God because it's already ours. That means you don't have to wait to be delivered, you're delivered now. It means you don't have to wait to be healed, you're healed now. Now again, some people will get hung up on that. Well, if I'm healed now, how come I still have symptoms? We're talking about the truth, between, the difference between truth and fact. It may be a fact that there are symptoms of sickness in your body, but the truth is Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you're healed. So when we make a, va- a vow or a declaration of faith for our healing or for anything else that belongs to us to the work of Jesus, we're saying, as far as we're concerned, the word of God is true. No matter what it looks like, no matter how we feel, now the proof or evidence of your eyes may not show it. That's why we believe it from our heart and say it with our mouth. So Jesus says, unto you it's given to know the mystery, the secret of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. He goes on to explain that the people are fulfilling I think it's Matthew's, Matthew 13 account of this story where he goes into some detail talking about these people are fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah that says their eyes are closed and their heart is hardened and so forth. So where he says, I'm speaking in these things in parables so that you'll understand what they won't, he's saying very simply that these things can only be understood when you put the word of God first in your life. It's not just some secret some principle that anybody and everybody can or should work apart from receiving Jesus as the Lord of their life. Now notice I said Jesus is the Lord of your life. I didn't say Jesus is your Savior. A lot of people know Jesus as Savior but not Lord. So Jesus said, unto you it's given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now skip down with me to about verse, uh, I think it's verse 26. 
Jesus said unto them, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground. Now he's building on the parable that he told them about the sower sowing the word in the early part of the chapter. You remember the parable, the sower sows the word and it fell on different types of ground. Some fell by the wayside. Some fell among the thorns. Some fell among uh, stony ground. And then some fell upon good ground. Well, he explains that the sower sowed the word. In other words, the seed that was sown were words. Just like Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The words of the good news of Jesus. For they are the power of God unto salvation. To rescue, deliver, and heal, and so forth. Jesus is saying the same thing. He said the sower sows words. So he says the whole kingdom of God. Please get this. He says the whole of the kingdom of God is like a man speaking into the ground. Now the ground he's talking about. The difference in the four types of ground in the parable in the early part of the chapter. He's talking about the human heart. Those that are by the wayside are those that don't understand what's being said. And so Satan takes the seed away immediately. One, one uh, version, I think it's Matthew 13, says Satan takes away the word from their hearts. The stony ground is the ground that doesn't continue in the word. They don't water the word. They don't continue to speak the word. They don't put the word of God first place in their lives. So it doesn't produce anything. It dries up. It was a good seed, but it doesn't produce because of their action, or in this case, their inaction toward the word. The thorny ground is choked out by the cares of the world. They get, those are people that get distracted by the cares of this life and the circumstances thereof. And so the word doesn't produce. Good seed still, but because of their inattention, it doesn't produce. One of the types of ground produces good fruit. Luke eight, fifteen, I believe it is, said, "These are they; uh, these are they that make up the good ground. Such as hear the word and keep it, and bring forth fruit: some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundredfold." So the ground he's talking about that produces maximum yield. Or gets the results that God intends for us to get. Or we'll say it this way. Those people for whom the will of God is here on the earth the way that it is in heaven. Are those that put the word of God first place. So is the kingdom of God as if a man should speak into his own heart. Speak the word of God into his own heart and keep it. Now, when I think of keeping the word, Proverbs 4 always comes to my mind. Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 22, which says, My son, attend unto my words. Put them first place. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Now, there's a lot of things to listen to or that you can listen to in the earth. But when you come to the point where the word of God is the most important thing to hear, then you're on the road to keeping it. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Let them, my words, not depart from before your eyes. In other words, see yourself with what the word says is yours. Now, the devil will fight that. The devil will give you every image of failure you can possibly imagine and more. He wants to show you every picture of every person that's ever failed. He wants to show you your failures time and time and time again because he wants to see you as failing. He wants you to see yourself as a failure. He wants you to see yourself in this current condition, whatever it is, for the rest of your days here on the earth. That's the image you have to overcome. How do you overcome it? By keeping the word of God and what it says about who you are and what belongs to you. Keep that first and foremost in your thoughts. Now, why, why do we want to do this? Well, Proverbs 4.22 goes on to say, after we do these things, after we put the word of God first place in our lives, it says, for they, speaking of the word, the word of God, for they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, who are the ones that find the word? They're the good ground, such as hear the word and keep it. 
make the word of God the number one priority in their life and receive a hundredfold in many cases, some 30, some 60, and some a hundredfold. The whole of the kingdom of God is determined by what you speak. The whole of the kingdom of God, the whole of the will of God, we've already established, the Bible says without equivocation, without fear of contradiction. The Bible says that it is God's will for things to be for you right here, right now, on this earth, just like they are in heaven. God wants you to be just as free as on the earth as your loved ones are now that they're in heaven. God wants you to be just as free from the power of the devil, from the influence, the last, let's say it this way, from the lasting influence or the effective influence of the devil now, just like you'll be free from his influence in heaven. Now, why is that? Well, remember where we started over in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. How do you bind something here on the earth? Through your words. The word bind means to refuse or prohibit. Refuse to allow or prohibit. Whatever you bind on earth. Whatever you refuse by your words. Whatever you refuse to allow here on the earth. Shall be bound in heaven. Heaven backs you up. On every word that you speak that stops the devil. And whatsoever you loose on earth, loose means to allow, whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, what do we want to loose on the earth? Well, I don't know about you, but I want to loose everything Jesus accomplished in his sacrifice into my life. I want to loose healing into my life. How do you do that? Well, James 5.15 says, the vow of faith, the declaration of faith, heals the sick. It heals the sick. So what do we do? Jesus said the key to being a master of the principles that govern the will of God coming to pass in your life here on the earth, just like it is in heaven, is to speak God's word. Well, I do, Pastor Mike. I say it every now and then. You better say it a lot more than every now and then. Because you're constantly saying something. Whatever you're not speaking the word of God is at best neutral, if not negative. But if you speak the word of God, you're speaking the power of God to rescue you. You're speaking the power of God to heal you. You're speaking the power of God to deliver you. You're speaking the power of God to make you sound and to make you whole. Thank God we've been delivered. Now, how long is it going to take to get the results? I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't matter. That's why we have to be strengthened with might by his power to hold fast. Look around you in the room. There are people here that are together because of the power of the word. Families that have stayed together because of the power of the word. Now, you never saw that work, but it's a fact. There are children and young people in our church that would never have been born had those families not stayed together. But those lives count, don't they? But we never saw that happen outwardly. There are people sitting next to you that have been healed, where cancers have disappeared. Well, there was no flash from heaven that, that caused that or that we had any physical evidence of. But they count too, don't they? There are people here that have been delivered from addictions of all ki kinds and types. Well, we never saw the power of God set them free. But they count too, don't they? Some of those situations happened instantly, but most of them happened gradually. Most of them came to pass through the application day by day by day by day by day 
of the word of God. But don't those count? Don't those situations count? See, I, I think in many ways, in many respects, the devil tries to push you to some outward sign to get you looking at the physical rather than the spiritual. Now, we can't discount instant healings and instant results. Thank God those things will happen from time to time. But in the case of our church, at least, I can show you more supernatural and even miraculous results that happened over time than I can instantly. One of the scriptures that has always intrigued me, and I believe it falls into this line of thinking, it's where Paul talked about the powers, the signs and wonders that God worked through him. He said that he was an apostle, proved to be an apostle, through mighty signs and wonders with all patience. Now why would you t attach or connect signs and wonders and mighty deeds with patience? If the signs and wonders and miracles or whatever other mighty deeds he's speaking of, happened instantly. See, I believe understanding these things has to do with becoming a master of the principles of the kingdom of God. Thank God for instant results. I love them when they come. They're things for us to get excited about. But you can't build a spiritual life on excitement. But you can build a spiritual life on the supernatural. Thank God his word always works. Whether it works overnight or over time. God's word never fails. Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his word. Oh, Father, thank you that your word always works. Thank you that the declaration, the vow of faith always heals the sick. Thank you that the good news of Jesus' work on the cross always sets us free. We're not moved by what we see, Father. We're not moved by what we feel. We're moved only by the word of God. Therefore, we declare, say this after me, we declare that we are healed by the stripes of Jesus. We declare that we're set free from all of the power of the enemy. No matter what it looks like, no matter how it feels. The Word of God is working in me to bring me to deliverance outwardly, to bring me to healing that can be seen, and to bring me to prosperity. In the name of Jesus, I have been set free. Therefore, by faith, I am free now, free from sin, Free from sickness, free from poverty, free from every work of the devil in the name of Jesus. That's the way it is for me. I vow it, I declare it, that I shall only have in this life what Jesus has accomplished and which is the will of God. So be it. That's how it is for me. Amen. 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 Now, the devil will challenge you on that. He'll say, did you just mean that in church when everybody was saying it? Or did you really mean it? If you've made a vow or a declaration in your heart, then that's the way it'll be. No matter how long it takes, that's the way it'll be. Say it with me. Thank God for his word. Forever, O oh Lord, Lord, your word is settled in heaven. As far as I'm concerned, it's settled for me. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, thank you for being with us. We're going to have a baptismal service in just a few minutes out in the courtyard. If you can join us for that, we've got a few people that are going to, uh, going to make their declaration of faith for, for the Lord. I'm sure they'd be glad to have you what witness and watch it. Amen. God bless you.